If you do have your copy of God's Word, I want you to take it and be finding your place in the fifth chapter of Ephesians. Uh, Two Sundays ago, I began a brief series on the home. And obviously, all of us have been at home a whole lot more than we've been used to. And my prayer is that during this time, we've learned some things about ourselves. Uh, We've seen some areas, perhaps, in our lives, in our families, in our relationships uh, that require some TLC, tender love and care. And it's not just our kids who have homework to do. Uh, All of us have homework to do because the home is so very, very important. There's no place like it, and that's true in more ways than we often realize. Uh, The home is the basic building block of society. And as you you look at the Word of God, uh, you'll see that the home chronologically really comes even before the church. God establishes the home Uh, as part of his created design for humanity. And it's during those formative years within the home that children develop a basic understanding of right from wrong, as well as other values that they will take with them into their adult years. Now, the thing is, we all know that the family, the foundation of our society, it's facing challenges in our time. And it has been for years. The battle over the definition of marriage, uh, growing acceptance of different ideas as far as gender is concerned, um, abortion on demand, the idea that children are a burden, all of this threatens to undo the very fabric that holds our American society together. And so if ever there was a time for the American home or the Christian home to inspect its foundation, that time is now. And so that's what I've wanted us to do uh, for a few weeks. Whether you have children or not, uh, whether your children are grown and have children of their own, uh, whether you're married or not, all of us as believers need a biblical worldview as it relates to God's design for marriage and the family. And so it all starts with the subject of marriage. And that's something that this passage uh, in the fifth chapter of Ephesians deals with in great detail. Uh, Perhaps it's the most extended treatment on the subject of marriage uh, in the entire New Testament. Now, I simply gave you an introduction to this passage of Scripture last week. And I really tried to show you that the commands that the Apostle Paul gives here in Ephesians chapter 5 Uh, to husbands and wives, parents, children. Uh, All of this is given within the context of the spirit-filled life. And uh, these instructions come at the end of this epistle, which is very practical. The first part of the epistle is doctrinal. And often we want to jump to commands and uh, practical things to implement and do in our lives. It's important that we understand the doctrinal as we come to the practical. And and doctrinally, the Apostle Paul says that as believers, you've been given, we've been given resources in Jesus Christ. There is an inheritance that is ours in Jesus Christ. The life of God has come to take up residence in your life as a believer. And so all the power of Christ, the life of Christ, spiritual resources in Christ, these are yours in the Holy Spirit who's come to live within you. 
And so it's within the context of the spirit-filled life. Paul gives the command in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the spirit. And then he begins to practically flesh out what that looks like uh, in our relationships. And so the point is, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that our home and our marriage can be what God wants it to be. And you've heard it said that Christian marriage always involves three parties, a husband, a wife, and God himself. And the key to a successful marriage and a happy home, it's being filled with the Spirit. And when you see these instructions in that context, then these instructions will take on a new dynamic for you in your life. It means that the power, folks, that we need to establish a godly home. It's not something that's been left up to us to muster up. And you know, we often feel so inadequate in these areas. We recognize that there's so much work that we have to do in these areas. It's encouraging to us when we realize that God has already given us what we need in Jesus Christ. And now it's a matter of us appropriating by faith what's already been given to us in Christ. So I want us to look at this passage again in Ephesians 5. And this morning we'll actually begin looking at the instructions that are given to wives and husbands. Um, So if you've got your Bible there, look at Ephesians 5, verse 22. The scripture says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Uh, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And this is the word of the Lord. In this passage of scripture, if you look at it, you'll notice that really there are three specific characteristics of marriage by God's design, and it involves submission, it involves sacrifice, and it involves symbolism. Submission on the part of the wife, sacrificial love on the part of the husband, but an understanding that marriage is much more than just the relationship that we have with our spouse, but it points to a spiritual reality, and it's the relationship that Christ has with his bride, the church. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to look at the verses that relate to wives, and then we'll look at what the Apostle Paul has to say to husbands, which if you notice, 
Uh, Guys, there is much more content, much more attention given to the responsibility of husbands. In fact, there are three times as many verses that are directed toward husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church than there is to wives who are instructed to submit to their husbands. And that's something that's very significant. And so again, it's important that you realize this command to be filled with the Spirit, back up in verse 18, establishes the context for the content of these verses. And Paul uses several different participles earlier in chapter five to describe what spirit-filled living looks like in a practical sense. Uh, You go back up, you look at verses 18 through 21, you'll find that those participles are there and they're in the present active tense, implying continued action. He says, be filled with the spirit. Be constantly being filled with the spirit is how that could be translated. And then practically, he says, this is what it looks like. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so that last participle there, verse 21, submitting, establishes a general principle that governs all of our relationships in the body of Christ. And then you get to verse 22 and Paul begins to show how this is specifically seen in the marriage relationship as wives are instructed to submit to their own husbands. Now we look at what um, the instruction that's given to wives, uh, notice that it involves at least three things. To begin with, notice the application that's given to wives uh, there in verse number 22. And really, again, don't, don't disconnect this from what's previously said. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. If you've got a New American Standard translation, then you notice that it reads this way. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And you'll notice that in the New American Standard translation, that, that, uh, command be subject is italicized, which means that that verb is not there in verse 22. But the verb actually is found back up in verse 21. But verse 22, Paul is just simply showing how there's a specific application for wives in marriage. So he's continuing the same thought that he lays down in verse 21. And you could literally read it this way. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ the wives to their own husbands. So submission then is a principle that God has ordained. Uh, He's intended for this principle to govern all of our relationships, but there's a particular application of this for wives in the marital relationship. Now I don't think I have to work very hard this morning to convince you that such a directive flies in the face of today's politically correct culture. You know, political correctness says, well, you can't, you can't, you know, emphasize this kind of thing anymore. Listen, folks, as believers, it is our responsibility to be biblically correct, even if it means we're not politically correct, because uh, Scripture is binding authority for our lives. And so even this idea of submission, it seems to cut against the grain of popular opinion. 
often we're proud and independent in and of our own selves. We don't want to submit to anybody but ourselves. And this is man's default position because the Bible says that humanity is in rebellion to God. And that word submit then is reflected of, it's reflective of God's created order of things. And so submission really is nothing more than the humble recognition of God's divine ordering of society. And it's something that applies to everyone, not just wives. Because again, you gotta see this in context. Back up in verse 21. Human society could not function as God intended for it to without this principle of submission being understood and applied. So, so notice a few things here. Uh, I would say first, submission does not apply strictly to wives, only to wives. It's for everyone. Yes, it applies to wives in the context of the marriage relationship, but it's also true of everyone. That word be subject there, uh, the verb that's used back up in verse 21, um, it, it speaks of uh, a military ranking. It's a military term that means to rank under. And the idea is that spirit-filled believers rank themselves under one another rather than exalting themselves over one another. And that's often how sin leads us to, to, to function. We want to exalt ourselves over someone else. And that's not what spirit-filled submission is. And so though we're talking about submission within the context of marriage, it's not something that's unique to marriage. This same principle is set forth in a number of different ways all throughout the New Testament. Uh, even in the next chapter, it involves children who are to submit to their parents. It's the responsibility of kids to obey mom and dad, to submit themselves to the God-ordained authority of mom and dad. The New Testament shows that it involves men and women within the church who submit themselves to their leadership. Romans 13, this same uh, command is given uh, involving citizens who are to submit to governing authorities that God has ordained. So it's not something that applies strictly to marriage, but in the marriage relationship, there's a responsibility and a particular application of this that's applied to the wife. Now something else you need to keep in mind is that submission does not mean subjugation. Uh, when the Bible calls upon wives to be in submission to their own husbands, it's not a forced kind of submission that a person sort of begrudgingly gives it doesn't mean that the wife is a slave to do whatever her husband commands. And sometimes a person will try to make this argument that what Paul is saying here, wives, be subject to your husbands, submit to your husbands. Someone says, well, that's really a reflective of an archaic, backward society where women were treated like property. And that was certainly true of pagan culture. But you see, that's not, that's not the biblical ideal. That's not God's design because Christianity has taken this relationship and has elevated it to uh, the original intention that God had, had in mind in Genesis 1 and 2. And so verse 22 is speaking of submission that's willingly and eagerly given. It, it's carried out in the way that Christ submitted himself to his heavenly Father. And therefore it's carried out in the heart of a wife 
uh, who is first of all submitted to Jesus Christ in her own life. And because of that, she then submits herself to her husband. So submission doesn't mean subjugation. Submission does not imply inferiority. And something else to keep in mind, this does not mean that women are inferior to men or less important part of a marriage relationship. Because the Bible says that both men and women are equal in terms of dignity. Men and women are equal in terms of redemption. I heard someone express it this way. You go back to the beginning, Eve was not taken from Adam's feet so he could trample all over her. Neither was she taken from his head so she could lord it over him, but from his side so that she could be an equal partner to him. And so again, this does not mean subjugation. Submission does not imply inferiority. What does it mean? It's a matter of divine design. It's reflective of the fact that God determined to create a helper who would be suitable for man, someone like him in every way, but also different. And so, as believers, we have this, uh, there's a complementary understanding of the relationship between husbands and wives, men and women. Uh, Man and woman are equal but different. In fact, Jesus upheld this same design for marriage uh, in what he said in Matthew chapter 19. The Pharisees came to him over the issue of divorce, and Jesus said, listen, have you not read? In other words, don't you understand what the scripture says? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two. They're no longer two independent persons who are acting independently of one another, but rather they're now one flesh. And, and this union, it's a, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing. It's what someone would call a mingling of souls. It's a picture of the relationship that Christ has with his church. And Jesus said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So there's a particular application then that's involved for the wife in this passage. But notice the second thing, and it's the explanation of this principle. The explanation of verse 22 is found in verse 23. Wives are to submit themselves to their own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So the Apostle Paul is explaining the nature of God's design here in verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. In other words, marriage is intended to be a reflection of both God's creative and redemptive order. And so from a creation standpoint, the Bible says that God designed marriage to be a permanent union between one man and one woman who are committed to God and each other for the rest of their lives. I mean, when Adam woke up from his sleep, he found that God had given him a wonderful gift. In Genesis chapter 22, uh, here's what he said. The man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the Bible says the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That word, uh, the Hebrew word that's used there in Genesis 2, hold fast, uh, translated as cleave uh, in older translations. The word means to cling, to stick, or hold together. And, and, And that's the design that God has in mind for the marriage relationship. It's God who performs the first marriage when he brought Eve to Adam which means that marriage is his idea, not man's idea. It's not something that man came up with. But this is something that has been established by God, by divine design. I read something by a lady by the name of Maggie Gallagher. She had served as the president for the the Institute of Marriage and Public Policy, and she also had been the chairwoman of the National Organization of Marriage. But listen to what she said. She said, I think it's important to recognize that marriage is a virtually universal human social institution. It exists in just about every known human society, but it has a certain basic and recognizable shape. Marriage as a universal human idea is always a public union, not just a private and personal one. It's a physical union between a man and a woman in which the rights and responsibilities of the man and the woman towards each other and their children are publicly defined and supported. Now listen to this, she says, there aren't that many human universals. And so you have to ask yourself, why? Why is it that human beings over and over again in all of these wildly diverse societies, uh, whether it be the steppes of Asia, the jungles of the Amazon, or the deserts of Africa, completely disconnected by religion, economy, culture, and history. Why do human beings keep coming back to this same basic marriage idea? Folks, the answer is this. Marriage is God's idea. And it's an integral part of the glue that holds human society together. And the roles of men and women have been worked into the very fabric of our humanity. And this is by design. It's evidence of creation. The reason for submission is that God in creation has given to man the place and the role of leadership in the home. And God has done this from the beginning. The Apostle Paul is going to make the same arguments in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He'll say the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so here's what this means. By design, God made man and woman equal, but he didn't make man and woman identical. Man and woman are equal, but man and woman are different. I mean, have you noticed that lately? That men and women are different? Um, (laughs) A couple of years ago, I remember seeing a clip that that was... uh, Uh, a guy by the name of Joe McGee who is a Christian speaker and he does a lot of marriage conferences and he was speaking to a group of uh, men and women on marriage and he was talking about just the differences between men and women. He said this, he said the average woman, and this is all backed up by science I guess, but the average woman speaks 20,000 words a day while the average man speaks only 7,000. He said that's why 84% of domestic violence is a man hitting a woman and not a woman hitting a man. It's not because he's stronger. It's just because he ran out of words. 
He says, ladies, don't ever get your husband wound up at night because he's out of words. Um, When a man goes to sleep at night, 70% of his brain shuts down. A woman, however, when she's in her deepest sleep, 90% of her brain is still active. That's why a bomb can go off and I often won't know what's going on. I, I won't know what's happening, but now my wife will. Women have two X chromosomes while men only have one. That's why all men look like they got dressed at the Salvation Army. I mean, men only see the colors of the rainbow. We have absolutely no clue what chartreuse is. Women have 180 degree peripheral vision while we men, we men have long range vision. McGee said this, he said, that's why men are four times more likely to be broadsided in an accident than women because we literally can't see it coming. Men see things better from long distances. And again, this is just the way that God made us. Men are hunters, men are providers. And and folks, this explains why we men can't see things that are literally right under our noses. The refrigerator, for example. I go to the refrigerator to look for some cheese. I, I say something, where's the cheese? We don't have any cheese. And Anita says, yeah, it's there. We don't have any cheese, I'm looking in the refrigerator. If I took three steps back, I could say, oh yeah, there it is, right there in front of my nose, where it was all along. We're different. Men and women are equal, but different. McGee said this, he said, if you take a brain scan of a man when he's reading something, you'll find out that he's virtually deaf, because we men tend to get in the zone. To go to the reading part of my brain, I've got to leave the hearing part. So we've got doors in our brains. We men go to one room, we shut the the door to the other one behind us. But a woman can have all the doors of her brain open at the same time. And this explains why women are much better multitaskers than men. Now why is all of this, I mean it's humorous, it's funny, and I love the point that he makes. But really he, he drove home this point. He said the thing is, what often has husbands and wives at each other's throats in the marriage relationship is often their differences. And that's not a bad thing, because it's a good thing. Because God, by design, has given you an opposite. Someone who makes up for areas in your life where you are weak. Someone who's stronger, more competent in some area where you yourself, perhaps, are weak and less competent. And so that's the idea in the Genesis account. God brings to Adam Eve, and he's given her as a gift to Adam to make up that which Adam lacked. It's complimentary. I mean, my wife's, I mean, she's better than me in a lot of things. Athletically, you don't want me on your team. I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you. If we were picking teams and we were playing sports, you would not want me on your team. But you would want Anita on your team. I can tell you that right now. I mean, she has got a competitive spirit. Organizationally, administratively, she's light years ahead of me. And there aren't too many cases where I've met a couple who didn't come to the understanding, guys, we guys, we know this is true, where our wife, oh, she's far more competent than us in so many different areas, and that by divine design. So men and women are equal but different. Physiologically, we're different psychologically, we're different. 
And we're now living in a culture that wants to turn this on its head. And someone says, where does that come from? Why is that? It's because the enemy is still attacking the design of God just like he did beginning in Genesis chapter three. And what God has established from creation, no culture is able to destroy. No culture has ever destroyed what God has established from creation. And I can guarantee you this, Paul outlines this in Romans chapter one, but a culture will literally destroy itself before it destroys what God has designed for marriage and the home. What's left of the ancient Roman Empire today, it's nothing but ruins. Greece before that, nothing but ruins. Babylon before that, nothing but ruins. And if we think that we're smarter than God in contemporary America, Folks, we'd better take heed lest we fall. We're never in a position to stand over and above the word of God, but we are under the word of God and in submission to it. So there's an application then of this submission principle. There's an explanation for why it's important. But then I want you to notice one final thing, um, and it involves motivation. There's a motivation behind a woman's submission to her husband. And this is seen really in, Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So the motive is is obedience to Jesus Christ, love for the Lord. You you see this motive expressed in verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. So this motive is expressed twice in this passage. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And a few verses later, Paul's going to use this same motive when he addresses husbands. He says, husbands, you're to love your wife in a selfless, sacrificial way Love your wives as Christ loves the church. Which means that you, rather than being self-assertive, rather than demanding your rights, rather than it being all about what you want, you humble yourself in a place of sacrificial service, sacrificial love, provision on her behalf. And you do this because of the pattern that's been laid down by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so Jesus Christ is the motive for a happy, healthy, fulfilled marriage relationship. Now some may look at what the Apostle Paul says there in verse 24 where it says, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And they may cringe at that phrase, in everything. I mean, you mean to tell me that a wife is to submit to her husband in every single issue? Is that what the Apostle Paul is saying here? Now you need to understand this is not suggesting some kind of slavery or some kind of unconditional obedience. No husband has any authority whatsoever to throw his weight around and command his wife like she were some kind of galley slave. And a man who does that reveals that he has a very serious spiritual problem deep down within his soul. No woman should ever submit to a man who demands that she do something contrary to her conscience before the Lord, such as something that's morally wrong or ethically wrong. 
That same issue applies to Christians in civil government. Romans 13 lays down the principle, we are to be subject to governing authorities. However, if the time ever comes where the state commands what God himself forbids, or the state forbids what God himself commands, then civil disobedience is in order. For example, you know, someone says, well, the government outlaws you being able to share your faith. You can't share your faith. You can't evangelize. Well, God's commanded. We know that the Great Commission, Jesus has laid down the command for us to go into the world and preach the gospel and to share the gospel. In the early chapters of the book of Acts where, where the leadership there in Jerusalem uh, got agitated and persecuted the church and the apostles and threatened the apostles, Uh, Peter and the apostles answer and say, listen, we've got to obey God rather than men. We understand God has established governing authorities and we're to submit to those authorities, but if those authorities ever usurp the authority that is unique to God alone, then we have a responsibility to be obedient to God, even if it means we go against others. So you apply this then to the marriage relationship. Let's say a woman is in an abusive relationship. Issues of domestic violence, which are very real. Where a woman is in physical danger. Where her children are in danger. She is under no obligation whatsoever to submit to such an abusive man. Neither should she. Neither should her children remain in such a situation. So when the Apostle Paul is saying, wives, be subject to your husbands, uh, wives, submit in everything to your husbands, understand that all of this presupposes the spirit-filled life. And he's speaking to the believers, those who are under authority to the Lord Jesus Christ. The lordship of Christ is characteristic of the home. And Paul's saying if you want a home that brings great glory and honor to God, then understand that this is the order that God has established for the home. Wives are to be subject to their husbands as unto the Lord, and this is how they fulfill their spiritual obligations and responsibilities to the Lord. And husbands are to sacrificially, selflessly love their wives as Christ loves the church. And I don't know any wife who ever has had an issue submitting to the leadership of a man who loves her the way that Jesus Christ loves his bride, the church. So even if this is culturally, politically incorrect, to the devil with what the culture around us says, we go with God. And we understand that God as our creator has designed how human life should function and flourish. It's not because he, he is a restrictive God who doesn't want good things for his children. We know the opposite is true. God wants only the best for us. Now, some of you ladies may be married to a man who's not a Christian. And you're doing your very best to represent Jesus in your home, to your children, Maybe you get no support from your husband because he doesn't know the Lord. You know, the apostle Peter had something to say about that in 1 Peter chapter 3. He said, likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and pure conduct. 
He's saying that the way you live your life and the way that you flesh out your faith has a spiritual impact on those around you whether you can see it or not. Through your actions, through your devotion, through your surrendered spirit to the Lord Jesus Christ, you flesh out the gospel before the eyes of your husband. In fact, some of you men who were listening this morning, you perhaps may have this very same testimony. It was perhaps your wife and her character that brought you to the feet of the Lord Jesus. That was exactly the way it was for Lee Strobel. Most of y'all know who Lee Strobel is, uh, who wrote the book Case for Christ. Lee and his wife Leslie were unbelievers. They were married. Uh, Leslie got saved first. And Lee actually talks about this, and he said, you know, when she came to faith in Jesus Christ, I, re- I didn't like it. Uh, he said, I, I sensed that someone was coming between me and Leslie, and it was, it was not another man, it was God himself. But it was the character of his wife, Leslie, that really got him thinking about spiritual things. And it was the way that her life was completely changed by the gospel that got him thinking differently about the gospel. He even set out to try to disprove Christianity. But as a result, Lee Strobel, rather than disproving Christianity, Lee Strobel came to faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit convicted him, changed him, saved him, and now the two of them are staunch defenders of the faith. So again, in marriage, God brings a husband and wife together in a physical, spiritual bond that reaches into the depths of their soul. And as he designed it, marriage is the welding together of two people into one unit. It's the blending together of two minds, two wills, two sets of emotions, two personalities. And by design, God intends for it to be a permanent relationship as long as both partners are alive. Now the question is asked, why is it so hard? Why is marriage so very difficult? Why is it hard? We look around in society, we understand things are so upside down in our world. Why is that the case? Well, folks, the answer lies in the fact it's because we live in a broken world where sin has entered into the picture and the design of God has been turned on its head by sin. Satan didn't attack Adam when he was alone in the garden. He launched his assault only after Adam and Eve were there together thereby attacking the basic building block of human society that God had established. And as a result of sin, um, Adam was separated from God. There's a separation from God now because of sin. There's a separation of man and nature. It was a curse that applied to Adam's world. There's a separation of husband and wife. And you read the consequences in Genesis chapter 3 that because of sin, now the marriage relationship itself is strained. But you know the thing is, what the first Adam got wrong, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, got right. And through his death on the cross, through faith in him, through trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, understanding that Christ suffered and died in our place and took upon himself the pain of God's judgment on sin so we could be forgiven, 
understanding this, then you and I can be forgiven. We can be saved. We can have eternal life and have hope because Jesus came to restore what Adam forfeited through disobedience. And there's no condemnation for those who trust in him. You know, the thing is, for some of you this morning, the first step as far as a happy home life, a happy marriage, may be just confessing your sin and in faith and repentance, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, accepting Christ as your personal savior. So right there where you are this morning, I'd invite that you bow with me and I wanna invite you to do that. If you don't know Jesus, believe the good news of the gospel that Christ came, that Christ died for your sins, that he rose again from the dead and confess him as your savior and Lord. I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. Christian husbands, Christian wives, how's your relationship? Is it a reflection of the grace of God and the mercy of God, the goodness of God? None of us are perfect, that's for sure. All of us are works in progress. But by God's grace, listen, I want to be the husband that Jesus has saved me to be and that God has commanded me to be. And I've been given all the resources and tools I need according to what the Apostle Paul argues here in Ephesians. Wives, the same thing's true for you. You've been given all of the resources and all of the tools that you need through the Holy Spirit to be the wife who submits to the leadership of your husband. And in so doing, you're submitting yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our Father and our God, Lord, thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for life. God, we understand that the enemy wants to attack and undo what you yourself have established, but he is defeated. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, my prayer this morning is that you have your perfect will and way in our hearts and lives as husbands and wives as we yield our homes to your lordship. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.